Welcome to the Building a Story Brand podcast, where we believe if you confuse, you'll lose. Noise is the enemy, and creating a clear message is the best way to grow your business. I'm your host, Donald Miller. I'm joined by my co-host, Dr. J.J. Peterson. Hi, J.J. Hi, Don. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so chipper today. You are so chipper. I haven't been this chipper in a long time. How come? And I'm a naturally fairly chipper guy. I would agree with that. <laughs> because I interviewed my old friend, John Gordon, today. Yes. Who's all about the power of positivity. Yes. We could argue maybe the most positive person in the world. <laughs> like, if he's not, it's off brand. <laughs> I, that guy, he just becomes more impressive to me every year. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I've been doing a little research. JJ, I've discovered that actually there's some some power to the idea that we frame our own reality mm -hmm. often, and I would argue probably all the time. Mostly, we fictionalize our own reality, and what I yep. mean by that is, you think people are against you that really aren't. Uh, you think things are going great when they might not be. You, <laughs> think, you know what I mean? We're just framing our reality all the time. Yeah. And most of the time, we frame it negatively, Yes, and then we live into a negative false reality, and we cause it to come true. Which is insane. <laughs> I mean, is. it's insane that that is, there's research behind that. Like, right. that's not just like a regular no, thing no, no. of like, oh, yeah, if you think bad things, bad things will happen. It's like, there's actually research into when you lean into the positive thoughts or you lean into negative thoughts and it's not mystical. It's not right, like right. this, no, like, no, no, no. It's, just, it's not this thing of like, I'm putting out a vision board, which, I, but vision boards happen because we start putting positive thoughts and focusing on things that move our lives forward in the direction we want them to go. And then we start noticing those things happening. It's the power of suggestion. Yes. Really. You guys came to me a long time ago. I don't know if you remember this, but we would do these dinners before our, our story brand workshops. Yeah. And, and we still do. We do dessert, meet and greets, and kind of mm -hmm. stuff like that. And I would show up, and I'd kind of do an announcement and say, hey, welcome, you know, welcome to Nashville, and here's what you can look forward to for the week. And I would say to the group, listen, you're going to be drinking from a fire hydrant in the next couple of days. We have a ton of content that we're going to give you. Yeah, It's going to be amazing. Pick up what you can. Don't worry if you don't get it all. I mean, just to, why in the world would I say it this way? Well, you were trying. You were I was showing trying to that say we have enormous value. value. Yeah, they're getting a lot out of it. Then we started collecting the surveys, and people would actually. The only negative comment was, "I felt like I was drinking from a fire hydrant." Yes. So you guys came to me and said, "Don, will you stop saying Please that? Stop saying because that because they believe the you." Yes. And so I, we didn't change. Well, we changed a little bit. We made it a little bit e easier to get through the information. We organized it a little bit more. Yeah. But then I started saying, "We have a perfectly paced curriculum for you. You're yes. gonna love it." And we never got that comment yeah. <laughs> and I'm convinced that 90% of it was the power of suggestion. Yeah, they were you're, giving your words back to you. You're telling people what to think and you're telling people how to see the world, which is defining the experience they have. Yeah. What if the same is true with you? Yeah. What if the things you are telling yourself are determining whether or not you have a positive or negative experience with life? And you say, well, Don, I have to believe these negative things because they're true. You want me to be a blind optimist, well, I think the argument is they're probably not true. Yeah. You're not exactly sure what the truth is. So if you're going to believe a false narrative, why not believe a positive false narrative <laughs> that actually has the chance of becoming more true? You know, it's an argument that I'm not saying go with it, but yeah. it makes a lot of sense to go with it. Yeah. And John Gordon is probably the world's leader on actually executing positivity. So yeah. he's not the guy who go, who's going around saying, believe lies that are positive and you're going to be yeah, great. Yeah, That's yeah. not what he does. No. What I wanted to illustrate was the absolute important bearing it has on your life to be positive. Now, how do you execute something like that? John Gordon is the guy. Yeah. And he's got a book called The Power of a Positive Team. 
that I think it's more than – he works with a bunch of different sports teams. He'll list them. They're amazing. But I think it's also for our family, yeah. for the teams that we work with. Yeah. And I think the same thing applies to our personal lives. If you are a cynic, <laughs> if you have a tendency to roll your eyes, uh-huh. this is going to be some stuff to swallow. Yeah. Uh, but I think it's worth listening. Yeah. I think it's worth having an opinion about. There's nothing better than when you see a cynical, negative person switch gears and start to take a risk on belief, yeah. on believing something could be good. It's absolutely life-changing, that transformation. I'm excited. I'm excited, too. I can't wait for you to hear the interview. I'm not going to delay any longer. This is my interview with John Gordon. He's got a book called The Power of a Positive Team. I think it's going to very positively affect your team right here, right now. John, I'm so glad to have you back on. Don, great to be with you. You're one of very few second guests. This might be your third time on the show. I think it's a second, but I, I'm honored to be a, a two-timer. Well, you bring so much content that it feels like the third or fourth time. <laughs> <laughs> you got a new book out, The Power of Positive Teams. You've taken this message of positivity, which, by the way, you and I talked privately on the phone a, a week ago. I talked about a little bit of the stuff that I've been reading about how you frame in your mind your own reality. And often you frame it negatively, which is not necessarily true. And then we talked about the power of, well, if you frame it positively, that may not be necessarily true, but it just works out a heck of a lot better if you choose this one over that one. And how important just psychologically it is to mental health. And uh, I love that you're taking this message not just to individuals, you're actually taking it to teams. It's, it's fantastic. Can you tell us what teams, or are you allowed to tell us what teams you're working with? Oh, sure. I've worked with Clemson football for the past eight years, worked with the Los Angeles Dodgers, the the LA, LA Rams the last three years, the Miami Heat, a bunch of different corporate teams and nonprofit teams, a lot of different schools. And the exciting thing is that every team who embraces these principles see the results of it. You can actually go through this model of the power of a positive team, and you can see where you are in the course of the model. And if you're not implementing one of the pieces, you will have an issue in that piece. You will have a challenge. And so you can actually go through the model and tell, okay, these are issues here. These are issues here. This is what we need to work on to be a great team. And so I love doing this because I wanted teams to understand what makes great teams great. This is what I've learned over the past 12, 13 years now working with teams since I wrote the energy bus, because they would all read the energy bus. I would get to come speak. I would meet with the coach, talk to the team, and I would stay in touch. And so I started to see what worked. And this is a book that pretty much created a model that shares everything I know about what makes great teams great. Talk to me about a team that that isn't positive. I mean, what are we up against in the workplace, on on sports teams, I mean, how bad is it when our teams just don't embrace positivity? What are what are the consequences of that? Well, the team underperforms. We see it all the time. You can tell a team that is very negative and pessimistic. They give up so often halfway through the season. They might even give up a quarter of the way through the season. We see corporate teams, if they're not positive, if they don't work through their challenges, they won't keep going. They won't keep moving forward. They won't work towards the shared vision and purpose that they have. Just an example with a sports team, I was working with the Miami Heat. They started 11 and 30. They finished 30 and 11 in the second half of the year. Completely completely switched it. Completely switched. While other teams were giving up 
this team stayed positive. They stayed connected, which I'm sure we'll talk about. And as a result of just doing those two things, they had a better outcome. Duke University did a study on optimists. They found that optimists worked harder, got paid more, and were more likely to succeed in, in business and sports. I 100% and what, believe that's true. And I would say relationships too. Oh, yes. And what they found was that these optimists, because they believed in a brighter and better future, they then took the actions necessary to create it. It became a self-fulfilling prophecy. So what you believe determines ultimately what you create. And it's a great example that you know, what we see in relationships with teams. And my wife and I are actually writing a book called Relationship Grit. And one of our key characteristics in staying together after all these years, and I would argue her staying positive through my negativity, because I was actually such a negative person back then, her, st- her positivity kept us going. Uh-huh. It caused her to stay with me and ultimately allows us to have the relationship we have today. Gosh, that's incredible. Okay, I want to talk to you a little bit before I get into some of the, the actual practical applications in the book. I'm a big Seattle Seahawks fan. You know that. We're playing San Francisco the other night, Monday Night Football, one of the greatest games of the entire season. I don't know if everybody caught that. I mean, it was just back and forth. It was a (laughs) defensive battle, more fumbles than you care to talk about on both sides. Russell Wilson threw his first interception in, I think, 7,000 games, and nobody was making mistakes. It was literally just defense was that powerful. Anyway, the score is going back and forth, and I get emotionally involved in a Seahawks game. In fact, my chocolate lab leaves the room and goes and lays down on the, on the bed in our bedroom <laughs> if they if she hears football. I can't stand watching the Seahawks lose. I mean, I just can't. So if they're down by three touchdowns, I, I often turn the TV off. You know, and, and here they are. Um, they're, they're marching back. They're about to, to uh, win the game. They miss a field goal. San Francisco then gets the ball back in overtime. They're down on about the 30. They're back to kick the field goal. And I said, I can't watch. The game's over. I turned it off. I went to bed. It's like 11 o'clock at night. One in the morning, I wake up and I think, Dom, why'd you leave the Seahawks? They couldn't leave. Why'd you leave? <laughs> you know, I mean, you're just, <laughs> and I'm like, just check the score. I Google. They won the game. I don't know how they won the game. I'm literally like, I'm up, I'm in the living room at two in the morning reading the description of how in the world they pulled this off. I asked this question because I'm not, I'm not talking about football, I'm talking about life. How do you stay in it? How do you have the power to stay in it when everything seems against you? You got a 1% chance of pulling this off, this marriage, this job, this project, this overcoming an addiction. John, how do you stay in it? It's what I learned from you, Don. It's the story that you tell yourself. The story that you tell yourself, the role that you are playing in the story as a hero, when you see that this is something that you truly want, you have a vision of what you want to create. And if you can see it, you will continue to work to create it. If you have that love for what you're working towards, you won't give up. People talk about grit all the time. I believe love is what drives grit. I believe it's also inspired by vision and purpose. I believe it's powered by faith and hope and by belief and optimism. I believe there's some resilience there and some stubbornness and also a, a desire to prove oneself when you're not doing well. And I think somehow, some way, you just continue to move forward believing that the best is yet to come. And if, and if you believe that the best is yet to come, you're going to continue to work at it. I can look at my own life and I can say, you know what? John, you were rejected by over 30 publishers. You had 
had these setbacks. Your father left when you were a year old. Your mom got remarried and married your, you know, your stepfather who became your dad and raised you. And you, you overcame some challenges along the way. And then you didn't get into the school initially that you wanted to get into, but then you got into Cornell University and you played lacrosse and you didn't start at all. You were actually on the bench your whole freshman year, but you worked your way up to be a starter. Next thing you know, you're now a three-year starter at Cornell. You graduate and your girlfriend breaks up with you. Your life feels like it's over, but I moved down to Atlanta. I start a life there. I start waiting tables. I start bartending. And again, just through this journey, I eventually open up a bar in Buckhead. I now I'm a business owner. And I, and I can look at this journey along the way of every setback I had, of every obstacle, meeting my wife, and she she says no after five times of asking her out. <laughs> <laughs> you and me and both. She, and then she says yes, finally, and then that she'll go out with me, and then she continues to cancel three or four times after that. I finally said either we go out tonight or we're never going out. And so she finally went out with me, and somehow you know she agrees to marry me, and, and that began my life. So I think somehow, some way, you just continue op- to optimistically move forward to use your challenges as opportunities to learn and grow and you have this vision of what you want to achieve like the Seahawks you talked about them wow yeah. I watched that game I stayed up the entire time as an, <laughs> you didn't as, turn it off <laughs> no as someone who works with the Rams right the last three years I'm invested in the Rams so yep. I watched the, these two teams play and I'm thinking wow what grit and the Seahawks the grit that this team had the fight that they had. They never gave up. I, I've never seen Russell Wilson actually make a pass like that in an important part of the game. The guy is so incredibly clutch. I was shocked to see that. And yet he comes back and makes the key plays that would eventually allow them to win. So I am blown away by that team's grit. And I know it's because you have a coach that is always thinking positive. He's, he, gets he's, he always just believes compete, 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 stay in the competition, never stop competing. Yep. And that's the thing. It's not just positivity. It's compete. Yep. It's like, let's fight. Let's continue to work hard for each other. Let's have this connection. Let's have this commitment. We talk about team grit, right? We talk about individual a lot, individual grit, but team grit is really about the connection and the commitment that you have to each other and for each other. So when you're committed to each other and you love each other, you won't give up on each other. I can always tell when I'm watching a team or I go into a workplace, I can tell what kind of connection they have, what kind of commitment they have, and I can tell you how strong that team will be. Well, that's awesome. I'm going to actually look at some structure. This is sort of the emotion and the charge to make it happen, but you've actually put together a little framework and some practical tools that we can use to uh, channel this energy and sustain it. And one of the things that you talk about with positive teams is that they need to work together toward a shared vision and a greater purpose. You say this on page 52 of The Power of Positive Teams. To create your culture, you must identify what you stand for and what you want to be known for. It has to be identified and written down. What does the process look like for a team leader to actually identify that, write it down, and make it public? It looks like a leader talking to the team, bringing the team together and saying, what do we want? Where do we want to go as a team? What is our vision for the road ahead? What do we want to create and what do we want to be known for? Southwest Airlines is a great example. I remember speaking to the leaders of of Southwest. I was meeting with the leadership team and, and they talked about how consultants came in and said, if you start charging for bags, you can make a lot more money. Ultimately, they said, is this what we stand for? No, we're for the everyday fire. We can't charge for bags. And so they didn't charge for bags. And then what happened? More people started flying their airlines. They gained market share. And they ran that advertising campaign, Bags Fly Free. 
and they had a huge success with it. And so once you know what you stand for, every decision you make as a team is easy. I would also say it looks like Dabo Sweeney with Clemson, when he had a vision of what he wanted to create with Clemson, he knew that he wanted to build this program into a powerhouse program based on belief. When he walked into the locker room, he brought two signs his first day as head coach. One said, believe, and the other one said, I can't with the T crossed out. He knew that this team lacked belief. And so he had to bring in belief and they had to work towards a vision and a, with a greater purpose with this belief. You really got to get the team to believe first. You got to get them to understand this is a possibility. It's an important possibility. And if we don't do it, the stakes are high. We can make this happen. And I imagine that there's a transformation that takes place there. The next thing that's probably going to happen is you're going to get attacked by the temptation of negativity. You say on page 123 of the book, one of the best ways to create a positive team environment and transform a toxic team culture is to implement the no complaining rule. You are not allowed to complain unless you have a solution to your complaint. How have you seen the no complaining rule change teams and which teams do you have incorporated that rule and, and what did it look like when they were done? Well, it's been incredible. PPR is actually the one who invented the rule. I know the CEO, they're a nurse staffing company, and they were outperforming their competition 10 times the growth in a commoditized market. So they're just crushing it. They're voted one of the best places to work every year by Sherman, the best places to work institute. And so the CEO told me that he implemented this no complaining rule with all his teams. And it says you're not allowed to complain unless you come with a solution. They also use this, Don, as a hiring practice. So when they're hiring someone, they say, you know, we have this no complaining rule. If you're a complainer, this is probably not the best place for you. So they bring yeah. in the right people and then they get people to, to be empowered by always focusing on solutions. They want complaints, like bring your complaints, but also bring your solutions. And as you do, you're now empowered and you're, and you're bringing new ideas, innovations and, and, and progress that helps us grow. So it's really a powerful rule. And I've seen a lot of teams when Mike Smith was the head coach of the Atlanta Falcons, he implemented the no complaining rule with his team. I've worked with a lot of restaurant companies where I really can't say a lot of fortune 500 companies don't really want to talk about it because of confidentiality but they implemented this no complaining rule with amazing results i'll be right back with the rest of my conversation with john gordon in just a moment but first if you really want to define a purpose for your team you know john talks about the importance of staying positive and staying positive toward a purpose the purpose is what brings you together. We've got a tool for you at missionstatementmadesimple.com. It's a course at Business Made Simple University. You can actually take the course and get your mission statement, your key characteristics, your critical actions. You can get your story pitch and your theme, the five aspects you need to create guiding principles that work. Your leadership team can take it in a day and you can define your greater purpose in the world and then unite your positive team around that purpose. Just go to businessmadesimple.com, get the online university, and take the Mission Statement Made Simple course. You get all the courses when you buy the university platform. It's only 275 bucks. It's dirt cheap. You can unite your team because you finally have purpose, and it has been clearly defined. Go to businessmadesimple.com. Another very important characteristic, other than removing negativity, is actually communicating and connecting with each other. You say, page 136, narcissism and self-focus creates a disconnect between personal goals and team goals, and it undermines the team. People who put themselves and their projects before the team don't build great teams. 
Talk to me about the rock star on the team, the diva on the team, the me first guy on the team, and how that negatively affects us. What do you do with that person? One thing I've learned working with all these different teams is that great teams focus on we, not me. And so you have to have a team that is collectively coming together for a greater purpose, not their own purpose. It's okay if you have a vision and you have a personal goal and you have a personal purpose that drives you, but it must become a part of the greater purpose of the team. And if you have a diva, if you have someone who is a me first person. You have to bring that person into the fold and you have to talk to them about serving and sacrifice. You have to tell them that, hey, you don't have to be great to serve, but you have to serve to be great if you truly want to be great. And I love to tell stories, right? When I'm when I'm speaking to rock star teams, when I'm talking to the Oklahoma City Thunder and you have all these NBA superstars on one team, when I did, they had a lot of superstars. You have to talk about these concepts and give them stories and understanding. And I, I would tell them about Navy SEALs and how Navy SEALs would actually have to try out for SEAL Team 6. So you had the people who were considered elite, but they would have to try out to be the elite of the elite to be part of SEAL Team 6. Well, SEAL Team 6 was looking for certain characteristics. And what they were looking for was not just high performers, but people who, when they were performing at their at their highest level, were also making everyone around them better. And so they weren't just you know, successful themselves, they made everyone around them better in the process of that. They were transformational teammates. A guy like LeBron James might be considered a transformational teammate. And so I would try to bring people into the fold and tell them, hey, you're a great performer, but we need you to be a great team member and a great teammate. I would tell them that one person can't make a team, but one person could break a team. Mm. And, and I have seen so many organizations Take this principle. And what they tell these superstars is, look, we needed you to be part of a team. If you can't be here, it may not work for you. This place may not be the right place for you. And sometimes they lose that star, but the team actually comes together and performs at a higher level. Alan Mulally told me when he was turning around Ford, I interviewed him a lot for both the power of positive leadership and the power of a positive team. One of the greatest leaders in our history. I mean, in our history, he is that good. And when he was turning around 40, he said he had an executive that said, you know, Alan, I don't think I can lead the way you want me to lead. I don't think I can be a, a working together kind of person and bring my team together in this way. He said, you know, we're going to miss you. We're going to miss you. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. And, and he told the guy like, hey, this is how we're going to do it. And if you're not going to do it this way, then you can't be part of this team, of the one team that Ford is creating. Yeah. And, he tur- and he turned around Ford with or without that guy. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't matter. I mean, it's not about the individual. It really is. You can't get to the moon on your own. Can you imagine an astronaut who was just a rock star and it's all me and I want the glory? It would would compromise the entire mission. You know, when I wrote this book, I was thinking about how no one creates success alone. We we all need a team to be successful. And even you, you're out in front of in the public eye, but you have this amazing team behind you. No, they're unbelievable. Right. And you know it. And without them, there is no accomplishment. There is no success for me. Without Daniel Decker, I would not be doing the work that I'm doing and having the impact that I'm having. And so behind every rock star is a team that makes it possible. And let's also look at Bill Belichick and Tom Brady, two two of the greatest. They would not be great without each other. No. You analyze your success and you find... Almost all of your liabilities are staffed out and other people are handling your, your blind spots and your weaknesses. And it's the only reason we get to do what we do. There's, just, there's no question. And I think, you know, John, I think it's by design. I literally think God designed us with inefficiencies, 
with liabilities in order to cause us to connect with other people in order to eat and pay rent. <laughs> you know, it's like you're going to die <laughs> if you don't work together. Yes, I love that. We have to come together. We have to. Th- through relationship to accomplish anything great. And so through that process, we not only become better people ourselves, but we make the people around us better. Years ago, my my wife was struggling at home and I remember she reached out to me, I'm on the road and she's like, I need your help at home. Like stop traveling so much, I need your help. I said, honey, I have this mission. I have to go out there and do this work. She goes, no, we need your help at home. So I remember I made the decision to obviously come home and, and help my wife. My son was 13, my, my daughter was 15 and now I'm at home all the time. I stopped traveling instead of doing 15 engagements a month, I was now doing three. My mission that year was to serve my wife, to serve my kids. And it was the hardest year in my life because every bone in my body wanted to focus on me. But I realized I was at my best when I focused on the team. So at the beginning of the year, Donald, it's so funny. I, I wanted a different team. I even told my wife, like, come on, you guys are not self-starters. I want a new team. <laughs> <laughs> and that didn't go over well, by the way. And at the end of the year, you know what I realized? What? I didn't need a different team. I needed to become a better leader who served the people around me. And then after that, I wrote The Carpenter, The Power of Positive Leadership, The Power of a Positive Team. Three of my my best-selling books besides The Energy Bus happened after I learned to serve others first. Well, it goes right into your next point that positive teams commit and care. Page 160, you say, people often ask me what committing looks like. I say it always looks like service and sacrifice, which is important because commitment is not just a word. It's an action. And it's sacrifice and it's service. It looks like doing what the team needs rather than what you want as an individual. Sounds like you learned that lesson with your own family. I did. Also, you know, when you look at teams, how often does someone say, well, so-and-so is not committed. They're not committed. We always look around and see who's not doing the work or who's not committed. And then we make an excuse that we're not going to be committed as a result of that. When I speak to teams, I say, no, you be the committed one. You decide to serve and sacrifice. You commit to your team. And when you do, I promise you, you will get commitment back. And if you can get an entire team committing to each other, you'll have incredible results. I had a, a principal of a school. I had a coach and a business leader. I asked them all the same question. When did your team become a powerful team? They all said when we served and sacrificed for each other. That's when we truly became a great team. I guarantee you look at the Seahawks. Yes, they got rid of Richard Sherman. Yes, they got rid of some of their star players. It took Pete Carroll a year or two to rebuild. Now he has a group of guys again who are now who are now committing truly to each other to be a great team. That's why they're having success. Yeah, no kidding. It's I mean, it's working. All right, and finally, positive teams are always striving to get better. And I love that. I love the, the sort of high five on a victory and then say immediately, okay, how do we make it better? How do we dream it up again? How do we do it better than we did last year? There's something about that constant desire to improve that keeps the game going. And I say game, I mean a lot of fun, a deep sense of meaning. You know, life does work sometimes like a very important game. But I love it that we're saying, okay, I think we can beat last year's score. Why is it so important to keep saying we got to be a better version of ourselves? 
because our next work should always be the focus of our best work. We always should strive to get better. We have to see ourselves as, as craftsmen and craftswomen who are always working on our craft with the desire to improve and get better. That's just the way we're designed. Because we believe that the best is yet to come, we'll then take the actions necessary to create the best outcome. So I believe when you're an optimist, you'll actually work hard to create great outcomes in the future. And to have that, you have to have positive discontent. Great teams have positive discontent where they come together. And even when they're having success, they're still saying, how can we improve? How can we get better? What do we need to do differently? They don't rest on their laurels. They don't have complacency. They are humble and hungry, learning, growing, improving, and striving to get better. But that positive discontent is also important when things aren't going well. So you're not having success as a team. You have to stay positive through the discontent in order to continually come back every day and work and grow. The, the question I get a lot of times is, you know, John, we're, we're not having a great result. We don't have a great win-loss record. Our business isn't going well. We're not getting the sales we want. What do we do? What, what do we focus on? I always say, focus on getting better every day. Focus on that process. That will lead to the outcome. One other thing about, of, about teams always striving to get better, they have positive conflict. Patrick Ciccioni talks about the importance of conflict in his message. And in the power of a positive team, what I found is that you have to have the difficult conversations in order to get better. So often we don't want to talk about the negative things. We don't want to talk about what we did wrong, but we need that feedback, which is our fuel to grow and become ultimately a champion in the future. So you have to have the, the feedback that helps you improve and grow. So as a team, get together. Seattle Seahawks have Tell the Truth Mondays, and they get together every mm. month. And on Monday, they talk about what went wrong, who messed up, and you are called out in that meeting, but no one will take it personal because it's not designed to be personal. It's designed for you to get better and for the team to get better. You can do this in your offices after after a week. You can do this after sales meetings. You can do this ongoing with, with your work and with your team. Have a tell-the-truth session where you talk about what you need to improve, how you can get better, and that truth in love, right? Truth in love, love and accountability is key to any great team. You will then become a better team as a result of that. It's really truth and safety, isn't it? I mean, we don't want to tell the truth if we're not safe to tell the truth. And that that love is what acts as the safety net that allows people to actually process their flaws and fix them. Without that, it's not going to happen. So true. Google did a study called Project Aristotle, and they analyzed all sorts of teams, including their own teams. And they wanted to know where their best ideas came from, where their most inventive ideas came from. And they found that it wasn't from the A-teams. It wasn't from the rock star scientists, the geniuses in their field, the ones with the most domain-specific knowledge. It actually came from the B-teams. What they found was that these B-teams had emotional and psychological safety. They felt safe to share their ideas back and forth. They, they were free from ridicule. They weren't worried about being ridiculed. And so they just basically put it out there. That led to a greater connection, which led then to a greater commitment and then led to greater results. So think about that. The genius was not in the person. It was ultimately in the collective effort and the collective mind of the team that felt love and safety as a result of that, let, that led to greater results. So I do a lot of work with teams around the idea of becoming a connected team that will then become a committed team to get greater results. So if you had to ask me what's the most important things, it's that optimism, positivity, it's that connection, it's that greater commitment, 
and that will lead to the results that you want. And so I work with teams all the time, executive teams, leadership teams, sports teams, to help take them through that process. Well, the book is The Power of a Positive Team. You can learn more about John at johngordon.com. That's J-O-N-G-O-R-D-O-N.com. He has an enormous number of resources. Again, The Power of a Positive Team. It's John's new book. Go to johngordon.com. John, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you, Donald. There you go. Super positive, right? Yay! (laughs) He lives it. it. The no complaining rule. That's the thing that I think I am going to take most from it. Our team doesn't... I know. We don't complain. I don't think we do. Do you think we're doing it? We don't know. No, no, no. No, but I just think it's a good reminder because um, there are moments. It's like there's moments that I can fall into that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think it then creates... And here's here's the thing, I think. There are times where in business, you deal with customers who are a little more difficult. Right. Right? I mean, that's just natural. Saying it. that occasionally that happens, it becomes real easy to be frustrated by that and begin talking just even internally negatively towards those customers. Yeah. And that can impact and then you start a framing. broader- yeah. Then you start framing all customers are bad and it's us against them and exactly. you turn them into villains and it's just, it's a, it will be a, da- it will cost you thousands and thousands of dollars to have that mindset. Yep. And when I know that when I complain in customer service, I don't see myself as a bad person. I'm trying to sometimes help them have better, cust- like serve their customers better. And I've paid money for a product and I want a good service. And if I can put myself in their shoes, like that there's a customer who's coming to me who's paid good money and that I want to serve and help win the day, and I can reframe it positively in my mind. Now, there are difficult people sometimes that just you kind of have to separate from. But for the most part, when you start thinking positively, even about people who are complaining about your product and service, it will impact the way you view all of your customers. And if you start thinking negatively about even a few customers – that will also impact negatively. And so I think I, I don't complain about our customers. I love our customers, but there are those moments where it's all of a sudden something becomes a little difficult. And that's something I just want to put in my mind on a more regular basis that I always want to speak positively. You know, me too. I, the, the number one thing that I probably complain about in my life is I really like waking up and going to the gym and swimming. Yeah. And I, I used to swim four days a week and probably the last three weeks, it's just been morning meeting after morning meeting or I'm on an airplane or I'm not at home or in another city yeah. and I'm, I'm three weeks off my game and my body's feeling it. And I was complaining about that the other day and I caught myself because of John Gordon. I literally caught myself kind of complaining about that and thinking, okay, how can I somehow positively spin this, if you will, yeah. and just say, isn't it amazing that I actually want to work out? What yeah. a great revelation <laughs> yeah. that this my schedule is keeping me from getting there that my, my, I've changed that much, yeah. and I can't wait to get back. I'm going to deeply appreciate it even more. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Rather than I've lost it and I've lost my rhythm and, and you know, seeing life kind of negatively. Yeah. You you got to wonder whether you know what the the fear is. Is there some sort of outlet for complaining? That now you're gonna have to bottle up your complaints, yeah. <laughs> and then you're just gonna explode in traffic yeah. one day. <laughs> I will get back no, to you with the I mean, answer to that. I get it. Like there's a there's a level of where you want to be honest yeah. about where things are at, but I think even when you stop and you say, "I'm gonna be honest about this and acknowledge that this thing is hard, and that maybe even this person is hard or this situation is difficult." And acknowledge that, and then also in that same context, yeah, that's start the key, right? Forward. The word also. So I think for me, I always think 
of it in terms of I want to think in light of this, not in spite of this. Like if a thing is – That's a great way to is, say it. Uh, there's something negative happening that is hard in my life. I want to be positive in light of that. I'm not just sweeping it under a rug and ignoring it. I'm acknowledging the difficulty of the situation, and I'm also in the same breath moving towards positivity. Yes, you reminded me of what Victor Frankl said, that that your subconscious mind, really your conscious mind, is going to create a whole list of negative things because this hard context has happened to you. You can use your executive brain, though, to create a positive list also, also. of what this makes possible. Yep. And your brain, the spotlight in your brain will begin to shift from the negative to the positive by a power of your own discipline in doing the exercise. Yep. And I mean, that that's made all the difference for me over the years when I can actually force myself to do that. So yeah. John, just an incredible interview as always. Thanks so much. Again, it's because the power of a positive team. You can find out more at johngordon.com. That's J-O-N-G-O-R-D-O-N.com. Music from this episode is by Andrew Bell. His new album is called Dive Deep Hushed. You can listen to it on Spotify or Apple Music. Thanks, as always, for listening to the Building a Story Brand podcast, where we believe if you confuse, you'll lose. Noise is the enemy, and creating a clear message is the best way to grow your business. 